14, please. Genesis chapter 14. And while you turn the place, thank Mark for the welcome, Nigel, for the invite. I think he's blaming the weather and the pastor being away, but I think it must also be the speaker, who the speaker is. But never mind, the Lord's here and the Lord will bless. We're turning to Genesis chapter 14. We'll break in at verse 17. And in verse 17, of course, uh, Abram has gone out and recovered Lot and been to war, and then he's on his way back. And we'll break in then at verse 17. And I should say this evening, I have absolutely no chance of covering this subject in one meeting tonight. Indeed, within the subject, there are many things that would take weeks of study on their own. So all I can do is give a highlight and help and encourage you to study the subject for yourself and maybe even develop a desire to go one day. But verse 17 of Genesis 14 says, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Cheralomar, and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, which is the king's dale. And that's actually the Kidron Valley as you look across from the Mount of Olives. Verse 18, And Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, to pronounce it properly, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. And he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And, they are, and blessed, the, blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread, even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Honor, Eshcol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. And amen, and God will bless the reading of his own inspired, infallible, inerrant, indestructible, and incorruptible word of truth. I don't think it would be a surprise to any of you if you were to ask me what my favorite city in the world is of all the countries I've been to, that I would answer Jerusalem. I've been there often enough. It's a place I love. Of course, it's a place that God loves. It's a place where the Lord Jesus died for me. It's a place where he will come back to the earth one day. And the Lord loves it. And of course, therefore, the devil hates it, which is what all the things are about this evening. Jerusalem is mentioned 667 times in the Old Testament, but never once in the Quran. 667 but zero in the Quran. And that would place a question mark of how Islam can, can, can claim that the monstrosity that it is the dome of the rock and the Alaska mosque has any real significance. Jerusalem as a city has been destroyed at least twice, and we'll come back to that. It's been besieged 23 times. It's been captured and recaptured 44 times and attacked 52 times. The name Jerusalem means foundation 
or to found, to lay a cornerstone to the God Shalem. Now, in preparing the message, I discovered something regarding non-biblical evidence. And I'm quoting directly from Jessica N. Weisenant in her book, Writing, Literacy, and Textual Transmission, The Product of Literary. What a title for a book, eh? But it's on page 323. But it says, One of the earliest biblical Hebrew writing of the word Jerusalem is dated in the 6th or 7th century B.C., and was discovered in Kirbet Bet Lai near Bet Gurvin in 1961. The inscription states, I am Yahweh thy God, and I will accept the cities of Judah, and I will redeem Jerusalem. Or as other scholars suggest, Yahweh is the God of the whole earth. The mountains of Judah belong to him, the God of Jerusalem. So almost 3,000 years ago, Non-biblical sources were stating that God had his eye on Jerusalem and that he was going to redeem her. I want to start off by looking at the proclaimed names of Jerusalem. As you go through the scriptures, you will find other names for Jerusalem as revealed in the word of God. And it's always a good practice to find something where it's mentioned first, it's further mentioned, and it's final mentioned. In other words, its first appearance, its second appearance, and its final appearance. When you do that, particularly when you come to a word or a phrase that you don't understand, you look at the first, the further, and the final, and you have a good idea. That's why we read from Genesis 14, because the first mention of Jerusalem there is in the word Salem in verse 18. But the names of Jerusalem in the word of God are Genesis 14, 18, and then we have, and I don't have time to turn to them this evening, and anybody wants references, come and see me after the meeting. That will not be a problem. Jerusalem, it's called Jerusalem in Joshua chapter 10, verse 1. Then in Judges 19 and verse 10, it's called Jabus or Jabus. Then in Psalm 46, it's called the city of God in reference to the occasion when we remember Sennacherib came and besieged the city and 185,000 were slain one night by the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is usually a reference to a pre-incarnate or a theophany or Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus. But 185,000 lost their lives in just a moment that night. And of course, the city was sustained during that siege by the river that runs uh, from, uh, from the Pool of Siloam and so on. So you have... The Salem, Jerusalem, Jabus, the city of God. Then in Isaiah 29 and verses 1 to 7, it's called Ariel. Then in Isaiah 52 and 1, it is the holy city. And then Hephzibah in Isaiah 62 and 4. So you have these names that are applied to the city of Jerusalem. And as we read through the scripture, we've got to understand that that is what it is referring to. But not only the revealed names in Scripture, then the Romans had a name for it because in AD 135, Hadrian, who is, these parts are better known for building a wall, but Hadrian renamed the city Aila Capitolina. And I quote directly here from Alice Wang. And Alice Wang says, Aila is as a version of Hadrian's name taken from his nomen gentile or given name. 
Capitolina refers to Jupiter Capital, Capitolina, a term which refers to Rome's Capitolina Hill. And if you've been to Rome, no doubt you've been there, and the temple dedicated to Jupiter, Jupiter built atop of it. So you have the names that are revealed in Scripture, and then the Roman's name, and then there's the revealing name today when you come to deal with Arabs and Islamic people, because when you go there, they will. When you go to Jerusalem, they will not call it Jerusalem; they'll call it Al Quds, and Al Quds means the holy or the sanctuary. Well, that's revealing again, of course, because Muhammad never even mentioned it a single time. So you've got its proclaimed names, but then as we follow history, there are other periods historically, and I'm setting out background before we get into the biblical things. But there are a number of main historical periods for Jerusalem. And within some of them, there are obvious subdivisions. And if you want, again, see me later for the reference. But we started there in Genesis 14 with Melchizedek or Melchizedek. Then there's the Joshua 10 on verses 1 to 5, the leader of the anti-Gibeonite league. He was killed by Joshua and killed in Joshua 10, verse 23. It was given to Benjamin as a city in Joshua 10, 28. All the kings of Judah reigned in Jerusalem. The Neo-Assyrian and Neo-Babylonian ages followed. Then the Roman period when it was captured by Pompey from 63 BC through to 313 AD. That followed into the first Byzantine period in 324 to 614 the Persian period, 614 to 629. The second Byzantine period from 629 leading into the first Muslim period. Then you had the Crusaders from 1099 to 1187. The second Muslim period from 1187 to 1517. And then that brought in the Turkish Ottoman period right through to 1917. And during that period, it was Suleiman the Magnificent. If you go to Jerusalem today and you look at the walls that are there currently, those were built by Suleiman the Magnificent during that period. And I don't have time tonight to tell you how he came to seal the Golden Gate and put the crown above it, looking across the Kidron Valley. And again, if you want to know more about that, please see me after the meeting. But 1917 gave way to the British Mandate, running through to 1948. In 1948, the city was partitioned right through east and west until 1967, when it was reunified during the Six-Day War. But that brings before you a place that has always had trouble. It's always had strife. And what does the prophet tells us? He tells us Jerusalem will be a burdensome stone. And so it is today, as you see the events that are happening in the Middle East. So that's <clears throat> the proclaimed names, <clears throat> the periods historically. But I want to look at a little of the precious Bible history, which is more relevant <clears throat> to us this evening. And for sake of time, I'm only going to mention a few, because you could spend weeks and months on this. But Jerusalem, of course, as I've already said, was given to the tribe of Benjamin. It, Jerusalem was the ninth and last resting place of the ark in 2 Samuel chapter 6. It became the home of Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 9 and verse 13. And of course, that picture of David showing grace to Mephibosheth on behalf of David uh, is a great picture of the grace of God that is shown to you and I. 
In Jerusalem, David saw Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11 and 12 and all the consequences that fell out of that. Solomon built the temple there, and we'll come to that in a moment. All the 20 kings of Judah reigned there. Only five of the prophets of the Old Testament don't mention Jerusalem. Hosea, Jonah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Haggai. All the others mention this great city. Of course, Jerusalem was a major area in the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But the last Bible event that I want to bring before you, of course, is the greatest event in the history of the world. The most important event in the history of the world. All time is dated back to it, and before it, all time look forward to it. It is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ that took place on Golgotha's hill. That's why the devil hates it. But it was there that the transaction between father and son for the redemption of my soul, it was there that the Savior paid the price for my redemption. So you've got proclaimed names. You've got the periods historically, the precious Bible history. I want to bring before you, for those who haven't been there, something about the present city. And I wondered what I could say about modern Jerusalem. And again, you could be weeks in this. But other than the unimportant things like the, uh, the population, the last census the results that I could find were 2011, and the population at that time was 850. No doubt the 2021 census should have been released by now, but I wasn't able to track it down. So after reflection about the unimportant things, I started to think about the mountains and the valleys around the city. Those have been there. No, any time you go to Jerusalem, you must go up. That's why it was easy to siege for Sennacherib and the Babylonians and the Assyrians and so on. But I started to think about mountains and valleys that are around Jerusalem. And the first one I want to bring to your mind is Nabi Samuel. It's always a great thrill for me to go to Nabi Samuel. It's the tomb of Samuel the prophet. And today there's a mosque and there's a synagogue. Now the Muslim always said that the Jew was never there. But about 15, 20 years ago in the archaeological dig around it, if you're looking at it head on over to your left, go around the left and go around the back and look down. Down above a door that they've excavated, there's the Star of David. The Jew was there long. And it's a great place to go. That's Nabi Samuel. Then another place is Mount Scopus. For those of you who know your Bible, you will know that better as the site of the city of Nob. And some of the events that took place there was where David ate and his men ate the holy bread, if you remember the events of 1 Samuel 21 and verse 1 to 9. It was the place of the city of the priests in 1 Samuel 22, but those priests were killed by Saul in 1 Samuel 22 and 6 to 19. And it was a place that was taken by Sennacherib in Isaiah 10 and verse 32 when he came and sieged the city. So it's again, it's a strategic place and it's a place worth going to see. And then they come to the Mount of Olives and what do you decide to say about the Mount of Olives? You could keep yourself going there for, for days on it. But David came over it 
fleeing from Absalom. Some of the key things. It was where David fled from Absalom in 2 Samuel 15. The fourth and final position of the departing Shekinah glory of God in Ezekiel 11 and 23. And all I'm trying to do is whet your appetite. The Lord Jesus often used it as a place of retreat. The Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and the verses that follow from verse 3 through chapter 25 to 46 were all there. As the Lord Jesus wept over Jerusalem, and you remember how he would have gathered them as a hen gathers her chickens under the wing and so on, and all that took place, and it's a great thing to go and look from that place over the city. But again, it's where the Lord Jesus wept over the city. It's the site of the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the place where he ascended in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 12. You remember the story of his ascension. And of course, it's the place to where he will literally return when he comes back to the earth. Another mountain and around Jerusalem is the Mount of Offense or the Corruption Scandal. And it was on that mount that Solomon built the three temple pagan, or the three pagan temples to the gods of Ammon, Moab, and Edom. And you'll find it in 1 Kings chapter 11. But again, it's a lesson to us to keep our hearts pure this evening. You remember Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. Yet he found himself with 700 wives and 700 mother-in-laws and all that goes with it. But those wives that were made, and a lot of them were marriages of convenience for political purposes with, with other countries and so on. But those wives brought their customs in and it was those customs then that turned away Solomon's heart. And again, the lesson to us is we must always keep our hearts pure. But those temples were later destroyed by Josiah. And again, those are the events of Second Kings chapter 23, verse 13 and 14. Then you have the Mount of Evil Council of Abitur, or Gebel el Mukabar in modern language. And there served the encampment of the Maccabees and also served as a Roman encampment during the first uh, Jewish revolt. And again, I don't have time to go into it. We're not long past Christmas, just before Christmas, and the Jewish calendar usually falls the Feast of Hanukkah. And if you want to know about how that comes, then come and ask me afterwards. But you'll, you'll all be familiar with, a, with a, the candlestick with the seven candles on it. But at Hanukkah, they light an eighth one. And I'll explain that if anybody wants to know about it later on. But then in 1967, it was the site of the first decisive battle over East Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was reunified. But that was the first place of the first great battle in 1967. And then you come to Mount Zion, the upper city of the New Testament times. The House of Caiaphas is there. And that's a great place to go, the House of Caiaphas. And... Every time I go there and I consider what took place and how the Lord was, was whipped there at the Jewish trial and the, the wall with, the, with the, the holes in it and how they lash his back with their whip of ropes and then they stop every five stripes and throw the water onto his back to get the salt into his, water, into his wounds. And that was before he was even scourged by the Romans. The tomb of David was in Mount Zion, the traditional site of the upper room. It's a place where Peter denied the Lord. So many Bible things take place there. That's the mountains, and I'm glossing over it quickly, as I say, because I want to 
whet your appetite. But then there's the valleys, the valley of Hinnon. And while I'm talking, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 31, please. The prophet Jeremiah chapter 7, and I'm in the 31st verse. And the valley of Hinnon represents, it's the valley of the poverty and sin. Why is it the valley of the poverty and sin? Well, it's where the children were sacrificed to the false god Moloch. Verse 31 says, And they have built the high places of, the to- of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnon, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my heart. Now the Greek term Gehenna comes from the Hebrew name of the valley. And turn with me to Luke chapter 12, please. The Gospel of Luke chapter 12. And we are in verse 5. And it arises from the Hebrew name of the valley. But of course, hell is future punishment called Gehenna or the Gehenna of fire. And Luke 12 verse 5 says, But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast you into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Now the word for hell there is Gehenna. It's used 12 times in the word of God, but it was originally the valley of Hinnon. And the valley of Hinnon was where the filth and dead animals were cast out and burned. And of course it's a fit symbol of the wicked and it said the fire never went out. Another valley is the Trifuian or the Central Valley. Now there's no biblical mention of it, but it's referred to by Josephus, the historian. And Josephus refers to it. And the present day streets, if you go inside the city walls, the, the, uh, it's called Elvad, Elvad, or the Valley Street. And it follows the line of the valley does the street. And it runs along the western wall. It goes out through the dung gate where all the rubbish was taken out of the city, down to the pool of David, or down to the city of David, into the pool of Siloam. Then another valley which I love to stand and look across the Kidron Valley. The valley divides Jerusalem between Mount Scopus and the Mount of Olives. And we'll come back to it, but. Some of the Bible events that took place in the Kidron Valley is David fled across Ab, uh, from Absalom, as we've already referred to. Josiah destroyed the idols at Kidron in 2 Kings 23. The Lord crossed it to get to Gethsemane in John 18 and 1. We remember how Mark tells us that they sang a hymn and he went out into the Mount of Olives and he prayed and so on before he went to the cross. He goes across the Kidron Valley. And while there are many more things I want you to keep in the back of your mind, or, or keep the Kidron Valley in the back of your mind, because I will come to it as I come to a conclusion in a little while. But there are other things, such as the walls and the tombs and all those things that we could look at at Jerusalem and quite happily spend so much time on it. I say, I'm trying to encourage you to think the thing through, to study the thing out for yourself, and then one day go and see them for yourself, whether it's with Ronnie myself or somebody else, that doesn't matter, but go and see it for yourself. They proclaim names, the historical, the periods historically, the precious Bible history, the present city, 
But I want you to see then pertinent Bible events. Now, I could be here for weeks, so I'm only going to quickly gloss over seven again to make you think about things that happened in this great city. We've already started with Melchizedek or Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. The king of Sodom went out to meet him, and then Abraham meets Melchizedek. And wonderful types are there. The king of Sodom obviously typifies the devil and the world, but then Melchizedek comes in verse 18, and we read that he was the priest of the Most High God. Brothers and sisters, before we ever came to the Lord, we were encountered, we were encumbered by the world and by the devil, and we were beheld by him. But then the Most High God, and the name is Elion, El Elion, and Psalm 91 and verse 1, it says that he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, that's El Elyon, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, that's El Shaddai. And of course, we met the Saviour, and we were brought in under his shelter and protection. The name Malik Sedak or Sedak simply means King Sedak, and he brings Abraham, or Abram, Abram as he was at that time, he brings him the bread, which speaks of life, he brings him the wine, which speaks of joy. And of course, it reminds us every Lord's Day morning as we sit at this table and we remember the Savior, the bread and the wine, the body broken and the blood that was shed. But he blessed Abraham in verse 19. And of course, that takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, where it says, I will bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And oh, that the world would start to realize if they would only bless Israel, then the world would have a blessing from God rather than all the notions and the things they pass in the United Nations or the useless nations. Now, we could spend a lot of time there, but we'll leave it at that. But then Jerusalem was made capital by David. Come with me back to Second Samuel chapter 5, please. Second Samuel chapter 5, and it was the capital and was made by King David all the way back then. And in 2 Samuel 5 and the verse 7, Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is the city of David. Go over to 1 Kings 2 and verse 11. 1 Kings 2 and verse 11. And we're seeing David reigning in Jerusalem. And the days that David reigned over Israel were 40 years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron, and watch. And 30 and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. Similarly, in First Chronicles 3 and 4, it says, These six were born unto him in Hebron, and he reigned there seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem reigned thirty and three years. Come over to First Chronicles twenty-eight, and we'll leave it at that for this particular point. First Chronicles twenty-eight and one, and we have a fourth reference then to him reigning in Jerusalem. And First Chronicles twenty-eight and one says, "And David assembled all the princes of Israel." the princes of the tribes, 
and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course, and the captains over the thousands, and captains over the hundreds, and the stewards over all the sacrifice, or sorry, substance, and possession of the king, and of sons with his officers, and with his mighty men, and with all the valiant men unto Jerusalem. Right the way back to King David, Jerusalem was the captain of or the capital of Israel. It was the capital of the Jew. Don't let the media, don't let the bias broadcasting company shape your thinking. Israel has always been the capital, had its capital in Jerusalem. Jerusalem and Melchizedek, Jerusalem made capital by David. But then Jerusalem was the temple site. We read in Genesis 14 and verse 17 at the start that the king of Sodom went out to meet him and after his return from the slaughter of Shedalomar and of the king that were with him at the valley of Shava, which is the king's deal. So the important thing there is the king's deal, which I've already said is the Kidron Valley. Now turn with me over to Second Chronicles 2 while I set a bit of background here in sight. If you've been to Jerusalem and stood in the Mount of Olives, you will look across that Kidron Valley and you'll look across and up and you'll see the Golden Gate, which is sealed, and in behind it is that monstrosity, that ugly thing, that eyesore, the mosque, the Dome of the Rock and the Alaska Mosque. But that is Mount Moriah and that's exactly where the temple was built. And Second Chronicles 2 verses 1 through 5 says the following, And Solomon determined to build a house for the Lord, for the name of the Lord, and a house for his kingdom. And Solomon told out threescore and ten thousand men to bear burdens, and fourscore thousand to hew in the mountains, and three thousand and six hundred to oversee them. And Solomon sent to Hiram the king of Tyre. Now watch that name for a moment. Saying, As thou didst deal with David my father, and didst send him cedars to build him in a house to dwell therein, even so deal with me. Behold, I build a house to the name of the Lord my God, to get it, get it to him, and to burn before him sweet incense for the continual showbread and for the burnt offerings morning and evening on the Sabbaths, and on the new moons, and on the solemn feasts of the Lord our God. This is an ordinance forever to Israel, and the house which I build is great, for great is our God above all gods. So there's the temple being built on the site, and I'll come a little bit to that in a moment. But I mentioned that name, Hiram, or Haram, the king of Tyre. Now, when you come to the Masonic order, Freemasonry, and I believe it's at the third degree level. They will tell you that Haram, the builder, as they call him Haram Abib, was killed because he refused to reveal the Masonic secrets in the building of the temple. Now straight away there are problems. We read there that Haram provided the wood. He wasn't a mason and he wasn't a builder. But further than that, the temple was built in 985 BC, or thereabouts. But the Masonic Lodge, or the Masonic Institution, Freemasonry, wasn't instituted. The first Masonic Lodge was formatted in London 
on the 24th of June, 1717. Almost, or just over 2,600 or 700 years later. Brothers and sisters, be careful to what nonsense we listen to. The devil is so subtle. And anybody that's in that demonic organization needs to get out of it. Because at the 33rd degree level, it's there that they tell you that you're worshipping the devil. You're worshipping Lucifer. You're worshipping the devil. And you don't even know it. But turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verses 1 through 3. Chapter 7 and verses 1 through 3. And it tells us now, when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of God upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped. And praise the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And oh, that we would see the presence of God and the power of God in our meetings like that in our day. But this was an impressive building, this temple. I read somewhere that it took 153,600 men to build it. And all was done at the, at the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. Turn over to Chapter 2 Samuel 24 and verse 16, please, while I settle a little bit of background. 2 Samuel 24 and the verse 16. And of course, you remember David has sinned in numbering the people. God has given him a choice of three judgments. But David throws himself on the mercy of God. So pestilence comes along and 70,000 men have lost their lives, we're told, in verse 15, I think it is, yes, 70,000 men. But when we come to verse 16, it says, And the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it. The Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Aruna. So the mercy of God comes in and he says it's enough. Jerusalem, Moriah, the place of Calvary, God says it is enough. And of course in Calvary the Lord Jesus Christ himself says it is finished. The work of the cross is enough for you and it's enough for me. And it's finished this evening. Jerusalem, Melchizedek, or Melchizedek. Jerusalem made capital by David. Jerusalem, the temple site. And then I want to come to Jerusalem and the Queen of Sheba. And when the Queen of Sheba, First Kings 10, 1-4 says, When the Queen of Sheba had heard the name of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. For those turning First Kings 10, verse 1, Verse 2, and she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. And there was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba 
had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built. Now, she got her contentment not when she saw the wealth, not when she got the, saw the wisdom and the servants and the feasting and all that, but when she came to the house. Why? Because she's now at Moriah. It's now at Calvary. And when she gets to Calvary, it's there that she gets peace. And brethren and sisters, surely when we came to Calvary and we trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, it was then we got peace with God and the peace of God that passeth all understanding. There was one on the internet not saved tonight. You've stumbled across the meeting. Tonight the only place you'll find real peace is when you come and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and the finished work of Calvary. Then you have Jerusalem and the Babylonians, and I'll not take too long in this one, but in Daniel 1, verse 1, you remember what happens in the third year, or the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and he besieged it. And this was the first of the two occasions when Jerusalem was destroyed. You remember what the Lord Jesus himself said. In Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came unto him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. You go to Jerusalem and you can see some stones still lying from that time. But we all know that that fulfillment of the prophecy of the Lord Jesus took place when the Romans came and destroyed it in AD 70. Now not, what is not so well known is the city was also destroyed, of course, by the Babylonians and it was burnt and ravished and so on. But what's not well known is it happened on the same date. Now we've got to get away from our calendar. We follow the calendar set by the Pope. But you go into Jewish calendar, and if you want the differences explained, I'll happily explain those to you afterwards. But in the Jewish calendar, on both, I think it was BC 585, if my memory serves me right, and AD 70, it was the 9th of Av. And the Jews hate the 9th of Av because their temple was destroyed twice on that date. Jerusalem al-Malik Sidak, Jerusalem made capital by David, Jerusalem the temple site, Jerusalem and the Queen of Sheba, Jerusalem and the Babylonians, Jerusalem of course is where Calvary is. We read of the words in Matthew 27 and 36 sitting down. They watched him there. It was there, the transaction, Mount Moriah, where the transaction for my sin was made. Lamentations 1 and verse 12. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold, and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow which was done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. Praise God, it was once nothing to me. But praise God, tonight it's everything to me. That my Saviour bled and died on Calvary. I'll never understand the depths to which the Father put the Son through in those three hours of darkness. 
Romans 8 and 32 tells me is that he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. He didn't go easy on him. He didn't take it easy on the apple of his eye, the darling of his bosom. Isaiah 52 and verse 14 says, As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and as far more than the sons of men. What it cost the Lord Jesus to die for me. But it was there. I can never thank him enough for the price he paid in Jerusalem. And the devil lost the soul that he thought he had. No wonder the devil hates it. I want to finish with one last thing. While I'm talking and setting the scene, turn with me to Zechariah chapter uh, 14, please. It's easy found. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 14 is the last chapter of the penultimate book of the Old Testament. Now, if you stand at that looking point and look across the Kidron Valley, you stand on the Mount of Olives and look across, you'll see the Kidron Valley, you'll see the golden gate where the Lord will enter, and above it the crown that was sealed by Suleiman the Magnificent, and I'll happily explain to anybody afterwards why. But in front of it, there are thousands, if not millions, of Islamic graves. And the question has to be asked, why are those Islamic, Islamic graves, why are they there? Why are they there specifically? Well, simply, Islam knows that no Jewish holy man will enter through a graveyard, because that will make them unclean. And therefore, they have their graveyard there and believe that that graveyard is what's keeping away the Jewish Messiah. Now, has God got a problem? Has the Lord Jesus got a problem? Read Zechariah 14 and verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord coming. So there's the timing. We're at Armageddon. Thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. Sure, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. That's why I said this particular time is Armageddon. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into the captivity. And the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then, just then, one of the blessed ends of the word of God wonderful study to take up some of the ends. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Now watch. And this is his return to earth. He's been for the chapter of, rapture of the church before it. You've got the period between then and the signing of the middle uh, treaty in the Middle East as Daniel 9 and 27 and so on. And then you have the seven years of tribulation. We're now right at the end of it in the final judgment of God. And it says, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem in the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst. Therefore, they're off toward the east and toward the west, and shall be a very great valley. And half the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it towards the south. And here's the Lord coming back to earth. He touches down in the Mount of Olives. It all cleaves out of the road. And the original gate, which has only been seen once, down in the bottom, and the Lord Jesus Christ will enter in. And... That is the Lord's literal return to the earth. But of course, first of all, he's coming for me. And he's coming for you. And he'll take us out. I want to finish with one simple thing. Some of the men will have seen me do this before. And you'll never see it from down there. So again, don't be afraid to come and ask after the meeting. But as you go through the Old Testament, time after time you will find a phrase, something along the lines, Jerusalem, the place 
I have chosen to put my name there. And a satellite was sent up called Landsat 5 20 odd years ago. And it was circling over and it was sending the pictures back to, I'm guessing it was Houston or whatever. But there happened to be a little Jewish man sitting at the desk seeing these satellite pictures coming back in and he nearly fell off his seat. Because here's Jerusalem and over there is Bethel and just right in between in the contours of the land you can only see it from space. can't see it from earth. But looking down from space you could see the sacred tetragrammaton Yod, He, Vav, He. When God says I have chosen to put my name there he's done it literally. It's there. Jerusalem is a place that I love but I'm not important. It's a place that God loves. It's a place where the Lord died for me. It's a place that the devil hates. And I trust tonight that something will whet your appetite to go and study the subject for yourself. And maybe someday we'll come and visit it. Thanks, Mark.